Hey, folks, welcome to the Jason Wright Show Money Monday. Look, this is the episode dedicated to improving our finances, always in always. Part of our overall improvement has to be to be good stewards of our resources, and that's what Mondays are for on the Jason Wright Show. So with that in mind, let's go. Katie, we're back with another episode of Money Monday. How have you been since we last spoke? Pretty good. I had a birthday. Oh, so happy birthday. I'm a year wiser, I hope. Absolutely. 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 And I, I'm not going to ask, but I know you're younger than me, so you know it doesn't matter. But I'm just, I hope you had a fantastic birthday. I did. I did. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Well, so this is going to be a cool episode. And I just want to preface this with, to all the listeners, this is a this is going to be fun because Katie went out and solicited some uh, some some questions for today's show so that we could tackle them. We may agree, we may disagree, but we're going to try our best to come up with the best answers possible for these folks' questions. And so, for everyone that submitted a question, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And if you have questions for us, bring it. This is we want to kind of talk through some of these real life situations that people find themselves in, whether it's trying to figure out how to start a business and how to manage it properly, how to buy your first home, your first car with cash, whatever the case may be, Katie and I want to cover it. This is what she does every single day. I'm just kind of a practitioner here. I've done, I've done it the right way at times. I've done it the wrong way at times, but now I'm old. So I think about this thing kind of figured out and it's the money game is it's not rocket science, thank God, because Lord knows I would if I, if if life depended on me being a rocket scientist, we would all my family would starve. And so, Katie and I just want to bring some very practical solutions for a lot of your money uh, questions and, and and troubles. And that's what we're going to be covering today. And we will have another episode like this. And we actually think that the next time we get together, we were just talking about before we came on, we might actually get some live guests to come on here and try to help walk them through some of these strategies. So. With that, all right, so Katie, can I uh, get into my my first question? Because, you know, this will show you the level of intelligence of my my uh, my listener, uh, not but actually my close friends who are listeners. Yeah, right. My one close friend that's a listener. Are you ready for this? Okay, so here Absolutely. was the question posed whenever he saw Katie's question that she asked about for this episode. Matt Wagner, that's M-A-T-T-W-A-G-N-E-R, everyone, Matt Wagner, over in the United Kingdom. Uh, this was Matt's question, okay? It was, let me find it. Um, oh, darn it. Now, now, now I get through all that. Oh, here we go. What's the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? And I think it's unladen. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So Matt's question for Money Monday was okay. what's the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? So it's okay. To, you know, we, you and I have a crack team of researchers. I mean, we have a yes. big staff behind us. We've got, we've got minions, you know, people fetching our coffee, going out. I mean, mm -hmm. we're just like a couple of Miranda Priestleys with all these people just out there running around. And so I, I said, okay, research team, come here, AKA chat GPT, get me an answer to this question. And here's what we found. And this is how I responded on behalf of both of us. Dear Mr. Wagner, our team of researchers has received your question. And after much debate and consternation, we have determined the following. The airspeed velocity of an unladen European swallow is approximately 25 miles per hour. For those of you on the other side of the pond, that would be 40 kilometers per hour. However, it's essential to specify whether you're referring to an African or European swallow as the answer famously changes in the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Please tune into the Jason Wright Show Money Monday, where your question will be answered or addressed on air, as is the case right now in real time. Keep improving always in always. So Matt Wagner, there's the answer to your question. So I say from now, it can only be, you can only go downhill from there, Katie. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, that was a wonderful question to start off with to start off with and way to stay on topic too, right? Exactly. Exactly. Exactly what we're here for. All right. So now trying to get 
into the kind of the serious side without being too serious. Let's go into the first question because it's got this involves something that I it's there's a subtopic to your first to the first question that was posed to you that I want to dig into. Yes. But here here it is. Okay. Years ago, I co-signed a student loan for my daughter. She wasn't paying them back and it began affecting my credit score. So I started paying them back. I want to refinance the loans in my daughter's name so I am off of them, but she won't sign or agree to it. She also is taking the tax break on the interest paid even though she's not paying them. Wow. Our original agreement was she would pay off the loan when she started working. She's now 28. Is there something I can do to get out of this situation or make my daughter start paying them back? Wow, that's that's so sad on a whole lot of levels. Yeah. So the first thing to the mom, I'd just like yeah. to say, praying for you, sister. That's sad. That's just so what are your what's your initial thoughts on this? So my initial thoughts are you cannot make somebody refinance anything. Yeah. Like they they have to be the ones to initiate it. They're the ones that have to sign it. And if you co-sign a loan, you are guaranteeing that it will get paid back. So that means if the primary person on the loan does not pay it back, you are saying, I will then pay it. Yeah. So that and and outside of student loans, if you just think about like a car loan or a personal loan or something else. Banks will loan dogs mm. and dead people money. Yep. And they are not going to let this person take out a loan. Like that's <laughs> that's spending a lot. They don't think that that person's going to pay it back. Yep. But but you're saying, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll I'll just make sure that they pay it back. Well, this is the exact reason why you should never co-sign a loan with somebody that you're saying that you will pay it back. Now, I, it, just, it really does break my heart for anybody in a situation where the primary person is no longer paying it back. Um, I would I would just tell mom, listen, you're gonna you're just gonna have to pay it back. And and she says that she's now 28. It doesn't say anything about what her work status is. I would assume that if she's 28, she's got she's got a job. Um, I would also maybe like if you're wanting that tax credit and you're going to be paying those student loans back anyways, the possibly consent now and this would just mean that like you're totally letting your daughter off the hook possibly you should consider maybe refinancing them in your name so that you are the one who's getting that tax break if if you're okay with saying you know what i'm just gonna swallow this like i'm i'm gonna pay them back because it's affecting my credit um but then, I mean, then there's that whole like parent thing of like teaching them a lesson. But like, how how much do you want to teach her a lesson when it's then going to affect your credit score? There's just there's not a win win in this situation at all. It just isn't. So the subcategory you you nailed it right there at the first is the co-signing part. First of all, uh, mm-hmm. to the listener, here's here's the biggest le- lesson that I can tell you uh, from my perspective is if you're going to co-sign, it's it's kind of like. Okay, this is a relative situation, right? It's, it's there's relatives involved. It's mother daughter. You don't loan your relatives money; you give it to them. If they pay you back, yes, cool. But they're probably not going to. And if you and for the sake of your relationship with your family member, you have got to have the attitude. This we may call this a loan, but I'm giving them the money. Otherwise, nine times out of ten, they're not going to pay you back. It's going to cause friction. If you truly give them the loan with the expectation that they're going to pay you back, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's the exact same thing with co-signing. Co-signing is such a serious deal. Katie, it even tells us in the Bible to not co-sign loans. It's that big of a deal. You don't assume the debts of other people. And we as parents, we get in these situations where we want to help our children. We think that we're doing the right thing. We think it's our responsibility, but you're doing them no favors by putting yourself on the hook and causing a wedge between them. I remember whenever I bought my first company, uh, 
my, uh, I had gone to my dad whenever I was looking at buying this first business and I told him I might need some help. And my father, to his credit, he said, you know what? Yeah, I want to help you. And then at the end of it, I finally said, no, dad, I don't want you to, I don't want you. And he said, no, he said, it's okay. He said, I'll, 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 you know, co-sign if you, you know, if you need me to for, uh, cause I was getting this big building loan or might, might've needed some, a line of credit or something. I said, no, nope. Because if it, if it succeeds, I want it to be on me. If it fails, I don't want anybody getting hurt. So I didn't do it. And I remember it was, it was tough. It was a tough road to hoe, but I did it. And I felt so much better at the end of it, having not taken any co-signers, anybody coming alongside me and doing that. And I actually had, and just here's how you have the conversation with that, that family member, I think, cause I've had to have this conversation really recently. I have a family member that has spent their life in a lot of trouble and, um, and, and I, I, I love this family member and I want, and I don't want, and we're just kind of, I, he, it's a, it's, he's been at, it's a member that's been out of my life for a long time. We're just kind of reconnecting and I don't want anything to jeopardize just my relationship with this, this person. And it, and nothing comes between two people like money, money just destroys yes. so many. Life. And so he came to me and was asking for me to co-sign on a loan. And I said, and it was hard. Everything in me wanted to. I want to make his life as easy as possible, but also know I'm not doing him any favors. So I said, you know what? No, because I don't want our relationship to ever be defined in any way by money or, or finances. I don't want that to ever be a part of our relationship. It's not, I, I'm just not going to allow that in. And, um, and it's tough. So I think you're, you're absolutely correct in what you said on the, um, just the, the whole co-signing thing. Secondly, with yeah, student loans, that student loans are a tricky one. A lot of parents are using mm -hmm. those to, um, to make up for the money they didn't save if they want, they want to pay for their kid's college. Um, and I, it's kind of, I can tell you, so my, my girls, um, we saved pay. So they, they graduated debt-free from college, never had to do college loans. But I can tell you the attitude that a lot of these kids have, and as listening to my own daughters, my daughters think that parents out there are cruel who didn't save for their kids and like are, their, their friends that are graduating and having to pay back their student loans. Um, they're just like, I don't understand this. Why would their parents do that? And I'm like, so if they have that attitude, then there's a good chance that parents, if you, if you are thinking that co-signing on student loans for your kids that they think, well, it's my responsibility and mom and dad are helping me. You better have that conversation because there's a good chance that they just think, no, this is your responsibility, mom and dad, to make sure I get a secondary education. And if you have to borrow this money, fine, it's on you how it gets paid back. So I think it's just, a, a, it goes from don't co-sign to really clear communication, right? Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the, your family member Mm -hmm. um, situation. The borrower is always slaves to the lender. And so <laughs> when you co-sign, even though they are not borrowing from you, you're still saying that they're going to pay it back. And so it's almost like you, you shift that relationship into a slave master situation and it's just it makes things sticky and christmas seems different thanksgiving yep. seems different you, if you're not paying it back you want to avoid them because you've got shame wrapped around an embarrassment mm -hmm. that it didn't turn out the way that you hoped it it just is not it is not a good situation and even if you are the person who's really wanting to borrow the money and you're the one asking for a co-signer think that through do you really want to be hiding from that person if, exactly. if things don't go well? Like exactly. it's just sticky. And and then going back to the your daughter's friends who ended up having to to get student loans. Parents paying for their children's education is a blessing. Mm -hmm. That is not an entitlement. And there are ways to to pay for college without having to go into debt. Now that that has to start off with clear communication, really um, 
prior to starting high school, because yeah. if if you are putting the um, the cost of further education on the child, they need to have and be aware of that at least four years leading up to that. And you're like, I'm talking to a 14 year old, 15 year old. How are they even supposed to like understand that? But being clear is being kind. And if if they have goals to go to a to a college and get a secondary education, that's wonderful. But let's also not just be like, oh, senior year, we didn't save for you. So now it's all on you. And they had no idea. Yep. Um, and you can be applying for scholarships. They can be working. And then the biggest and I man, I could get on a soapbox on <laughs> paying for college debt free is school choice. Mm -hmm. I live in uh, just north of Tulsa and anybody who lives in the county of Tulsa can go to, it's either Tulsa Tech or Tulsa Community College. I can't remember. There's two two-year degree uh, schools here. They can go and not pay tuition if they graduated from high wow. school and live in Tulsa County. Wow. That's free education. Yeah. You yeah. know, and yes, it's not the experience with the the big oak trees and like college game day and and all of that. But listen, free is free. And you're going to be paying 20 grand your first year at a four-year school or more, or you can get that free by li and living at home so you're not having to pay um room and board. I mean, there's just so many ways. And, and it shouldn't be an entitlement thing. And and, and it's not. So, and th that brings yeah, up the conversation that is, yeah, this, this, the, we could do a whole topic just on financing college. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, I have to s put my kind of uh, cynical pants aside whenever I start talking about the, the modern day university system, because essentially like here in Tyler, Texas, we have the university of Texas at Tyler, fantastic mm -hmm. four year university where a lot of kids, they can go here and you could pay for four years of UT Tyler for what I was paying for one semester at Abbey at the university of Colorado. And now, oh, gosh, yeah, it, it's, it was such a, it was such a whipping, but here's what happened. Yeah. You know, and, and things have changed. When I was the first member of my family to graduate from college, I put myself through undergrad. And, and graduate school for that matter, but it was supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be, that's another thing too. That's another topic. If you're going to get an MBA or law school, this, the idea that your parents are supposed to also pay for that, that's just kind of, that's just crazy town in my book, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at it differently. I felt so fortunate that I was, and so blessed that I got my college degree. I told my girls when they were really little, if you can get in, I'm going to get you there. That's it. And now though, if I were doing it all over again, there's no way, because what we hear about is what you mentioned, that experience, the college experience. Well, let me tell you something. If you're really talented, the, work, the, the market doesn't really care that much anymore about, now, if you tap into your network, if Ryland taps into her University of Alabama network, Abby into her University of Colorado network, I suppose, but boy, that's a big toll to pay. Whenever you could go yeah. to one of these regional schools, one of the satellite schools of a major system like UT or A&M, uh, where, I mean, I know you went mm -hmm. to A&M, my, I've got relatives that, yeah, there you go. I've got, I've got two, uh, uh, a niece at, uh, West Texas A&M and I have mm -hmm. a nephew, her brother at A&M Corpus Christi. And those are great schools. And, you know, you get the, you get the education and you don't spend a fortune. And also like you were talking about these community colleges, uh, I don't know, I guess that's the thing. And, and my, my brother and my sister, they were smarter than than me because they told their kids you can go everywhere anywhere you want to go and we'll pay for it but, any, but as long as it's in state as long as it's in texas mm -hmm. if it's outside of texas you make up the difference and i thought that was brilliant so therefore all of my nieces and nephews they went in state whereas rylan and abby what did they do they both went out of state and we paid this ridiculous premium so my uh my siblings were much smarter on that but anyway i just think that when it comes to education clear communication don't co-sign and um you know, it doesn't, and I love that what you said, it's, it's not an entitlement. Yes. As parents, we want to give our children all the, all that mm -hmm. we can, 
But I'm, I'm living proof. My dad was pretty hard on me as far as making me work at a really young age and pay a lot of my own bills of things that most kids just <clears throat> don't have to pay for. And when you're going through it, it's tough. But man, it's sure been better here in adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. you've got the experience. Heck yeah. You, and you, you just the experience you, of it. Yeah. You don't, you never, there's, if there's no one ever giving you the thing, then you never expect it. You don't, you realize it's up to you. And I'll tell you another thing, folks, parents, listen to this, or family members, here's what happens. I learned this, a great book, Toxic Charity. Um, whenever I was preparing for this nonprofit that we were founding here in Tyler, I read this book. And one of the things that the author says, I wish I could call his name, I'm drawing a blank. He says, what begins as appreciation always ends up as expectation and then leads to major frustration. And it, it happens every time you do it once. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. But the first time they come back needing help again, if you don't do it, it has become an expectation. They're going to get angry and they're going to act like this girl you mentioned here. No, how dare you, mom? What are you crazy? No, I'm not going to do this. So anyway, good, 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 good opener. Good opener. A lot, lot of lessons yeah, in there. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So, all right, this is a good one too. And I've got some definite mm -hmm. thoughts on this one. I'm thinking of going into business with my cousin. What are some things I need to know or think about if going into business, uh, if going into business with someone? What are your thoughts on that one? Because I got a bunch of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that you would uh, you would be perfect to answer this. Okay. Uh, the the things that I that I really caution anybody who's thinking about doing a partnership when it comes to business is um, going over the five Ds. So what happens when one of the two partners becomes disinterested? What happens when they become disabled and can no longer work? What happens if they get a divorce? Because mm -hmm. the spouse then has also partial ownership of this mm -hmm. company. What happens if... Um, they take out debt without you knowing. Mm -hmm. And oh goodness, what is the 50? I can't remember the 50. I'll have to look it up. But I mean, it's it's all the uncomfortable conversation that you need to have when you're not in that situation. That's exactly because right. Because when you get in that situation, the emotions start rising and it's then somebody may feel defensive and somebody, and it's just not, you need to have a game plan of how you will handle it and put it down on paper so that you can both reference back to it when that time comes, because mm -hmm. something is going to happen where you're going to have to deal with one of those five. I could not agree more. So here's kind of my take on it. First of all, you, you need to treat this like you're going into a marriage because very much so everything applies mm -hmm. The communication. You're, you're, yes. and, and also you need to, you need to realize something. There will come a point where you think you're outworking your partner. And guess what? Here's, what's going to be so weird and kooky and crazy town is they are thinking the exact same thing. They think they're outworking you. And the fact is yeah. both of you are probably working your tail off maybe. And, and it's relative as to what's considered more work and what's not, but it's going to happen. Uh, secondly, partners don't go away. Bankers do. Here's so what I would tell you mm -hmm. is if you are going into a partnership because you can't because as a way to capitalize your business, I if you if it's if it's I can go go to a bank and I can borrow the capital or I can raise a fund where it's all minority shareholders they have no say so it's literally just they're betting on me as a horse they're just saying I'm putting my money with Jason Wright Inc because I believe that if I put in two I'll get five back. I have no say. So it's just like buying stock. I'm willing to oh, buy. Right. If you're willing to do that, okay, that's one thing. But if if you're looking at taking on a partner to finance your business, always look for debt. And that's weird for us to say because we want to be debt free. If mm -hmm. you can't finance a business, yeah. and I, I try, that's the way I recommend is try to operate on a cash basis, either right from the get-go or as quickly as possible. But the good news is debt goes away and partners do not. So that's that's something to always consider. And then it goes back to what we were talking about right here. Um, it's a family member who 
I mean, that's, that is a tough one because, and the thing is what yeah. Katie said, it makes so much sense. Always spell out the worst day of your partnership you you could uh, possibly imagine. You know, spell it out, what that looks like and what are you going to do when that day comes? And here's what will happen. You're going to have that conversation and both of you are going to sit there and go, we know this will never happen. We know this would never happen. Right. And you might be right. It might never happen. But guess what? There's a darn good chance it will. It changes everything just like marriage. People think, well, if we live together for two years and then get married, nothing will change. The hell it won't. It, 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 you're, you're delusional if you think that. Yeah. It changes everything when you are legally bound to another person. And then when you put business into the mix, and in this one, it's goes to going into business with my cousin. Well, if you're close enough to go into business with them, you probably do spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with them. And yes, if you've had a, if something's gone bad in the business, guess what you're going to be talking about while the Dallas Cowboys are playing Washington over Thanksgiving. You're, you're going to be, you know, talking business and I don't know. It's just not saying don't do it. I, I'm not mm -hmm. at all saying don't do it. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the reasons why my, um, my stepmother and my stepbrother have been so very successful. They went into business together. And because of that, they both had someone there at all times as their company grew that they knew they could trust. You know I mean? Yeah. It was mother, mother and son. And both of them had a connection and a respect and a loyalty to each other that it's hard to get. So there is that element. And if you've got that, I do see the value of that. But also I've listened to both of them upset with the other because one was doing more work as they saw it. One was doing more work as they saw it. You just have to be very open and prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say tread lightly on this. Don't, don't jump into it and get some counsel. I mean, talk to people that, ha that own their own business, ask them if they did a partnership um, and, f and seek out people who do have partnerships. And yep. how did you structure it? What are some hurdles that we need to look at? Uh, what are some things that we've not thought about that we do need to consider? It just, and especially, I don't know, friends and family, like you always hear, don't, don't do business with friends or family mm -hmm. either. Well, going into business, oh my goodness, that, that creates a whole nother level of complexity in the relationship. I mean, it could be great, but then it could be also disastrous. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. Robert, Robert Pelche, who's an incredibly successful car dealer here in Texas. And, um, he, he and I used to go to lunch weekly when I first moved to Tyler and bought my first business. And, um, he, he would, he served as a mentor to me. And I had a couple of guys that wanted to back me to open more real estate offices. And so I went to Robert and I said, what do you think about this? And he said, he said, well, he said, you're already married, right? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, everything perfect in that. No bad days. Everything's wonderful. I said, well, no, I mean, it's a typical marriage. He said, okay, so why would you want another one? And he said, because that's what you're going to get. And he said, uh, he said, here's what I do. And here's how he's always run his businesses. Now, Robert, if you're a general manager at one of Robert's dealerships, you get compensated very, very well. And his take on it, and it's something that has always stuck with me, is I would rather overpay my senior managers than bring on partnerships. Because when you do that, and this is something to think about for those of you who think that, well, uh, I've got to have, I've got to give up equity to get the best and brightest. Not necessarily. Uh, now, granted, it can certainly help, uh, but you would be surprised if you can afford it. And of course, it's, it, each scenario is, is different, but if you can afford to bring someone on and pay them as they're a partner, great example of this, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A does not have quote unquote franchisees. What Chick-fil-A does is you pay $5,000 to be a partner. And what they do is they, if you're, if you're a partner in Chick-fil-A, now they may have changed some of this, uh, but to my knowledge, this is still the case. If you're an operator, that's what they call them. If you're an operator of a Chick-fil-A of which you can only operate no more than three, I believe, and you share in the net. And I think it's pretty steep. I think it's like you get a 50-50 net share agreement. So you don't own the real estate. You do, you do not determine the location. 
you have nothing to sell when you're ready to retire. It goes to another would-be operator, either an existing operator or someone that's worked their way up and they're in the stable waiting to become an operator, but you never own anything. But I've never met a broke Chick-fil-A operator. They make a lot of oh. money. But, and it's worth it because the, the person that's operating it, it's kind of good for them. They go, well, I also don't have to take on the burden of owning the real estate. And what if things go wrong? And so, it, so there right. are opportunities like that. So if you're looking at setting up a business, let's say that you're starting a franchise deal or whatever, and you've listened to this and you go, how could I do something other than bring my cousin in as my partner? Well, maybe just figure out a way to pay them as though they were a partner, share the, the revenue, share the net revenue with them, give them incentive yeah. to, for the company to grow. And that should be the case in any business. I think that you're, you're building up is always let people share in the rewards, but try to maintain as much ownership as possible just because you want to maintain that relationship and want to not burden them with the worry and the concern, let them do what they're really, really good at and not get bogged down with some of the ownership things that you get into. And to, but most importantly, it's just protecting that relationship. So those are some things too, that you can do as an alternative to taking on your cousin as a partner. Yeah. And, and really when I say like options give you power, mm -hmm. this is a great example. Sit down and come up with, be creative on how you two could work together in this business and list out five, six, seven different ways that the relationship or how you're working in the company could be and then discuss all of them. Yeah. Because if you're just like, oh, well, it just has to be a partnership. Then you then you feel like you're backed into a corner or you're stuck in this pigeonhole when really when you get creative and you come up with many different ways to structure it, then it gives you power because you have the options. That's exactly right. Very good. Very good. All right. Yeah. This is a good one. These are great questions. I love this one because uh, because I've I've had to look down the barrel of this gun before. Should I save for my kids' college before I save for retirement? I feel guilty saving for retirement and not college. Any advice? Wow, that's a good one. What What do you think? Yeah. Dave? All right. So my thing is, excuse me, you are going to retire. Your kids may or may not go to college. Just hmm. plain and simple. They may or may not go to college. They may um go to a trade school or maybe they decide to go into real estate and they do that 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 doesn't require a university degree um they may end up getting scholarships they may end up i mean there's so many factors when it comes to paying and funding college but you are going to retire so that needs to be a priority and when you're like yeah but oh my goodness like i just i want to i want to give to my child the best gift, the absolute best that you gift you could give your child is for them to know that you are financially okay in your later years. Because if you think about it, if you spent all your money trying to send them through college and you didn't save anything and now your health is kind of waning and but you don't have enough to really retire, well, then now your child is in those sandwich years of raising their own children and trying to save for their retirement, trying to save for their children's college. And now they've got this parent who doesn't have any money or enough money. And so now they're, they're there trying to handle their own household, their own children. And now you, that just places an even bigger burden on your child. Versus, okay, well, let's get creative. Let's write down some options on how we could pay for college without me having saved because we can't, we don't have that type of money. So, uh, yeah, I say that you must save for retirement before you start saving for kids' college. And really only fit, like 15% should be going towards retirement if you, if you have children that are coming up for college age or if your house isn't paid off yet, 15% will get you a great start. And then, then anything else, anything left after that, you can you can uh, save for your kid's college after that. Yeah, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I also think that it's good for people to know that um, 
if you just start, and this is the tricky thing, it's like so much of life, it's so weird. You know, all of a sudden my child is seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and I go, oh my gosh, maybe I should start saving for college. That's just a, that's just a bear. If you will start early enough, I mean, if you start at year zero for your children and, mm-hmm. and you tell the grandparents, I mean, the cool thing about all these 529 plans, even though not one of my family members ever took me up on this, they all have these links that you can send to family members at Christmas to say, hey, if you don't want to, the kids have everything they need. Instead of toys, would you mind funding a little bit of their 529 plan, 100, 200 bucks, whatever you would spend on their Christmas presents, would you just spend, yeah. do this? I mean, it just, there are other ways and you've got so much, and, and like you say, it's mission critical. It's guaranteed. You're going to get to a point where you don't go to the office every day, whether you like it or not. You're not going to be able to do what you do forever. Even people like me who think that they're never going to, you know, go over the 50 threshold and all, all my craziness. Yeah. I know one day I'm going to need to supplement my income, but with that, because I'm not going to be as productive as I am now. And, you know, so but if you just start early enough, it doesn't take that much. And again, it's a gift. It's not a right. Mm-hmm. The college, if you can give your kids 25 grand to say, hey, there you go. There's a, there's a big cash, you know, uh, amount for you. Manage the rest wisely. Go figure out how to, that's more than I had, you know, so you, you can do this. So I, I, I think that's, uh, that's very good advice is to save for your retirement, which even if you don't retire, you may still be a greeter at Walmart when you're 80, but you're going to need, you're not going to make enough money probably to be, be, you know, to just completely be completely independent if you're not careful. So make sure you're taking care yeah, of that absolutely. regard. All right. So the next one, I love this. How do I know if I can afford to make my first hire in my business? I was terrible. I've been terrible at this my whole career, but I think I've got a good answer. What's your, what's your take on that one? Well, first, you have to be very intimate with your business finances. So that means that you know all your income, all your outgo, all of your operating expenses. They should not be mixed with your personal finances at that point. Uh, You have to be making um, a good profit because how else are you going to be able to pay for the first hire? And I would even say, you know, let's just say that you are able to pay them. I don't know. I'm just going to say this is going to be a part-time person, 20 grand. If they are then able to help you increase your revenue by 21 grand, it's worth it. (laughs) Um, But really crunching some numbers and maybe even before hiring setting, pretend like you have this person already and save saving that money into an account um just to get that process and and prove to yourself yes i can i can pay for this person but you have hired many people so i would love to hear what what you what your suggestions are so i'm going to take it back to the very very early days when i was faced with this question at a very low level so i bought this office building in tyler that would house my first real estate company. And I mowed the grass myself. I was 28 and I couldn't imagine hiring landscapers to mow the grass. So here I am, I'm the, the owner of this company that, I, that I've acquired, I've got to completely reshape it, rebuild it, and I'm mowing the grass. And I thought to myself, wow, how magnanimous of me. You know, one, I'm saving money, and two, I'm, uh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm doing the right thing. Well, here's the problem. I went and I, I visited with, uh, I went to a coaching session uh, and some, and this guy taught me something that I will never forget and I've never abandoned. He said, you have to figure out what your time is worth before you can make any business decisions on hiring or where you are and what you're, and how you're managing your business, especially whenever you're, you know, I was the president, CEO, janitor, plumber, you know, I was all of it, network administrator you know, terrible, terrible bookkeeper. I was all those things. And so what I always tell small business owners is I'll ask them the question, what is your time worth? And I go, what do you, what do you mean? I go, how much are you worth? Are you 150 bucks an hour? Are you 200 bucks an hour? Are you $250? An hour? How much are you worth? And, um, and they, and usually they have no idea. They've never even thought about it that way. Well, whenever I started 
putting tasks, matching them with my time that I thought I was worth at that time. I billed myself essentially at 150 bucks an hour way back then. And I thought, okay, so literally I am paying 150 bucks an hour to mow this yard when I could just let somebody else do it for 50 to 100 bucks, which freed me up to then go do the things that made more money. Even if, and look, mm-hmm. this may sound selfish and lazy or whatever, but even if it meant instead of at six o'clock at night after all the realtors had left and everything was gone and I went out there and cut the grass till 7.30 or eight o'clock, I could go rest and spend time with my kids, yeah. which is more valuable. So then all of a sudden it becomes a matter of, is it worth paying a hundred dollars to have someone go cut my grass to get to spend that time with my children. That's then all of a sudden when you start putting tangible activities with the dollar amount and you know your own value, then it becomes, then when you really start moving up and people really start paying you for your time and you start saying, you start basically saying, Hey, if you want me to come work for you, I'm worth about a thousand bucks an hour. And if you're willing for that to do that, okay, we can talk. If not, then all of a sudden you start saying no to stuff because you're like, this is dumb. Why? why I, that, I'm yeah. sorry. It's not because I'm too good. It's not because, but there's an opportunity cost. And I talk about that a lot on this podcast. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to an infinite number of other things. So if that thing you're saying yes to, if it is, if, if it's going to take away, start adding up the opportunities that you're sacrificing to say yes to that thing. And when you get to the point where you know that you know, that even though it may suck, you can't just, it's not a zero sum game. It's not as easy. And I learned this early. I made the horrible mistake of thinking in my mind, I, I, there's no way I can pay a manager, let's just say 50K a year to run this office. Because that's just like, there's this much money, there's a fixed pie and 50,000 of it would come out. So my bottom line would be hit by that much. And that would just, I just can't live off that. I can't do that. That no way, I can't do it. As opposed to what you just said earlier is instead of saying, okay, that 50 though, if done properly and managed properly will increase the overall activity. It'll, it frees me up to do the things that mm-hmm. really go buy other offices, go recruit other agents, go do other things that really move the needle. So the 50 becomes 150,000 in extra revenue. So therefore it didn't cost me anything. I invested 50 in this human capital. And I made another hundred for doing so. And when you start to realize how that snowball works, it Mm -hmm. changes everything. Now, I will say this, and I just had this, um, I'm kind of faced with this right now because I need to hire some folks for Texas Titan Media, in particular in the social media space. And I I had an interview with this girl, very sharp or whatever. But the thing is with Texas Titan Media, my revenue is, it's kind of like, we're just now getting this point, this thing to the point where we know how we're going to monetize some of the content and the things we're doing. And, it, and so I also take the approach, if I can't immediately identify the return on investment, I put a dollar into you, I get $2 out of you, um, then I'm probably not going to hire you right away. So what I've got to do is go figure out, okay, if I'm going to bring you on just so that the two of us can have an expectation of what revenue add are you get what how, how much of my time are you going to free up and then I I did the same thing okay this is going to take so many hours off my plate and let's say it takes five hours a week off my plate well that's five thousand dollars I mean you you treat like so that's five thousand bucks that by hiring this person for a thousand dollars a month well okay that math works so that's how I try to uh, figure those things out. And it's not easy because no one, especially uh, solopreneurs or just basically the the CEO, I don't care if you're running a $10 million top line company, but you're considered still a small business owner. I guarantee yeah. you, most of them have never stopped to think, what am I really worth on an hourly basis? What What is my time really worth? I just put it, I just give all my time, all my sweat, all my energy. I don't have time to, yeah. I just, I just it's, it is what it is. The job needs done, I do it. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, Am I really the person that needs to be doing this job or should I outsource this because my time is more valuable and can make the the company more money and improve the lives of those around me if I'm doing something that's more conducive of my my value? That's the way I approach yeah, it. And I, yeah, and I, I would also start because the, especially the solopreneur or even the small business owner, 
they may have like write down everything that you do in a week, yep. in a month, and figure out what only you can do. Because there are things, there are tasks that you are doing that somebody else can do. You may, you may be resisting on giving that up and delegating that. But when, when it comes to your business, like I couldn't have my personal assistant come in here and do this interview for me. I mean, right. she would probably be able to understand and give good advice, but it, it's me, right? Mm -hmm. I can't also have somebody else coach my client. That's right. That's me. That's right. But answering emails, answering inquiries, responding, uh, going out and networking, that could be somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to or or writing, like I, I enjoy writing. I want it to be my voice. Yeah. My YouTube episodes, I could outsource that. I don't have to be the one sitting there editing everything. So really making a list of what you were actually doing and then what somebody else could take off of your plate so that you can do more of what's bringing in that money. I guess it was uh, Peter Drucker who used to always say, automate, delegate, or, or eliminate. You, you've got, it's got to fall into mm. some category. If, if, and, and, only, yeah. and then like you just said, only leave the tasks that only you can do and put those tasks under really harsh scrutiny. And by the way, I'm sitting here talking about this all confident like, I'm the world's worst at it. I try to do way, way more than I should be. I do things that I should absolutely never do. And so I'm not, I don't have this completely figured out, but I do know that it, to do it right, you need to either automate it, delegate it, or eliminate it. And if you can't do one of those three, then that leaves only you to do it. It bet you better be able to justify it because what you just said, it, that's what frees you up to be able to have times like this, which builds your brand, builds you, you know, your, gets more mm -hmm. people understanding what Katie Highlander does and who she is. And, and that's stuff that only you can do. You are the walking billboard for your business. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's all good advice. All right. So number five, I have a friend getting married next weekend. I had to buy the dress, cowgirl boots, pay for hair, nails, makeup, hotel room. This is why I hate getting invited to big fancy weddings that aren't in my hometown. Uh, now she's now she's saying we need to buy a coordinating rehearsal dinner outfit and is asking us to help cover the fifteen hundred dollar remaining balance for the venue. God, I got to talk to these parents that obviously are doing something different than me. That they they have kids that would even suggest such a thing. Uh, I yeah. don't feel this is normal and it's getting expensive. What would you do? Ooh, okay, that's wow. I mean, I, okay, I'm coming at it from a dude and a dad. Yeah. So all the all the ladies listening to my response are gonna freaking not like it. But what would you do, Katie? I wouldn't pay it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sorry. That okay. Your wedding is your financial responsibility, and yes agreeing to be part of the wedding party you know that there's going to be expenses there They're, you're going to have to buy a dress you're going to have to do your hair um nails possibly uh but but there are some things that that go into i don't know and, and again it's it's just the 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 budget of the bride and whoever is paying for the wedding like a hotel room if you're wanting them all to stay like that should be that should be an option for them if if you are not going to cover that room. But yes. that shouldn't be a requirement. And and as far as I mean, she's already in this. She's already paid money. Uh so what does she do from here on out? I would I would just sit down with her and this is going to be an emotional discussion and and tell her start it off with this is really awkward for me. Just call it out so it's not so you can just name the elephant in the room. This is really awkward for me, um, but I, I want to have this conversation with you. Um, I am not financially able to continue with these expenses. And you don't have to bring out your budget or say, you know, this, you, you've made me pay for X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. You can just say, I just, I, I don't have the bandwidth to take on any additional expenses. Um, I still want to be in your wedding. I still want to support you, um, but I'm not able to do anything further than what I've already committed to. Um, and 
And if she's a good friend, I feel like she would be okay with that. And if not, then I feel like that's also kind of a reflection on what type of friendship that you have. Because also you, your friends don't want to put you in a financial bind, right? And and just saying no in general, whether it's no to this or no to an invitation for a, a vacation or going out to dinner. You can just say, oh, I've already got um, I've already got a commitment. Mm -hmm. You don't have to expand. The commitment can be to yourself that you're not going to spend that money or or whatever it is. But you don't have to explain and you don't have to explain. So I, I would say you, she definitely needs to have a conversation because being clear is being kind. And also, you know, maybe in the future for any other friends who ask you to be in a wedding. Just say, I would love to stand up there and support you. Can you give me an idea of how much we're kind of looking at just so that I can be planning for the expenses for the wedding? Yeah, so you're better than me because I'd be like, woman, you're out of your mind. What is wrong with him? I mean, are you freaking kidding me right now? I mean, this is the biggest bunch of jackassery I've heard of in my yeah. life. I mean, 15, I mean, look. First of all, you're asking your freaking bridesmaid, which is supposed to be an honor. It's not supposed to be a way to dilute the expense of your dream wedding that your parents right. either couldn't afford or weren't willing to pay. And so you're going to burden your bridesmaids with this. It's supposed to be an honor. And 1500 bucks that's steep. I mean, $1,500. And that's for the venue. For the, yeah. It's like, who? That's who, a responsibility. No. I mean, I would. Yeah. And you know what I would do? I would say, you know what, sweetheart, you're not getting off the hook this easy. If you need money, put it in the invitation. Why should we, the bridesmaids, be stuck with it? If you need money, ask all your guests. Charge. Let do like I'm Father the Bride. Why don't you just charge for to bring to come to the wedding? You know, it's gonna be a, it's a great event, great venue. Sounds like it must be a nice venue. So you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be this Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. It's gonna be the wedding of the century. Come on down for yeah. only two hundred and fifty dollars. I don't know. I just. That just sounds like a bunch of just clownish behavior that, and how are her parents allowing her to, I don't know. I have so many, and okay, you know what? The bigger picture is I'm not offering any advice on this as I would just be the worst to be involved in this situation. So, so listener that posed this question, first of all, God bless you. You're much sweeter than I am to even pose this as a question other than just, you know, just looking at your friend and going. Yeah, I think I'm resigning from my my role as bridesmaid mm -hmm. slash yeah. benefactor for your wedding. But um, but two, it's like I just I just I don't know. I, there's just so many things here. I don't even I can't even get my mind around. Oh, I know what I was gonna say though. This poor husband. Woo. I mean, let's look at the let's let's really go deep on this. This if he's yeah. marrying a girl that has these sort of expectations of friends to foot bills. Mm -hmm. Whoa, whoa, wow. I, I hope they are in some serious, serious. I hope that that's what I would. That's what I hope. I hope that this is you being very kind and an end around when really the, the married, the couple getting married is really a financial coaching client of yours, because I think you've got some serious work to do with this young lady. Well, they're on, not. Okay. <laughs> like, wow. She needs you. She needs a reality yeah. check. So, yeah, that's well. That's and, and I feel like, you know, Yes, typically the <clears throat> the parents of the bride pay for the for the wedding, but again, if the parents of the bride don't have that money, again, that's not a an expectation um that would be a blessing that would be a gift for them to pay for it. But if you are $1500 um short of coming up with the payment for the venue, that needs to be the bride and groom. If they yeah, are paying for absolutely. their wedding, they need to discuss how they are paying for the wedding. And that's a great exercise in how you're going to work together in your future finances. And I couldn't agree more. And I, like already, I feel sorry for like, I, I love the movie Bridesmaids. I think it's hilarious. And, you know, they're, they're shopping for their bridesmaids dresses. And those yes. are expensive. I mean, at least mostly, you know, when I've been in weddings, you know, as a dude, yeah, I have to rent a tux, you know, so they all look the same. Mm -hmm. And it can get kind of expensive. But, uh, but still, it's like, okay. I, that's a part of it. I'm willing, and that's, that's, I'm willing to do that for my friend, but to have to right. come in and chip in to pay for essentially standard wedding stuff. Yeah. That's, that's just mm -hmm. not being a good friend. So anyway, all right. Well, mm -hmm. I, 
I'll uh, I'll back off on that one so we can wrap up these last two. That one just kind of okay. fires me up. Wow. Um, I, I think there's a word. I think it says, uh, should I uh, move my traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? Is that even mm -hmm. possible? I'm 53, if that matters. What's your take on that? Uh, okay, so the only hesitation that I would have with moving, you can't, okay, so first off, yes, you can move your money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. It's called a backdoor Roth. You can see here um, that would create a, um, a taxable event. So if you were to move that, you would need to withhold some money to be able to pay taxes on it because a Roth is supposed to be funded with after-tax money. Um, the only kind of hesitation that I have since uh, she mentioned her age is that I just, I don't know if I would uh, go go to that extent. Again, I don't know how much money is in the traditional IRA, but you can invest in a Roth, you can open a Roth IRA today and just instead of contributing to your traditional, start contributing to your Roth. And um, I don't know how many more years um, she's planning on working uh, because you can really build up some some major uh, money in that Roth. And I can't remember what the catch up date is, but there's a a certain age. If you are over that amount, your um, the max amount that you can contribute is increased. But uh, if you are single, you can contribute sixty five hundred dollars a year. If you are married, it bumps it up to $13,000 a year. And then after a certain age, uh, it increases a little bit more for catch-up contribution. Um, I don't know. I would just, I would say go ahead and open a Roth IRA. Um, you can still invest in the same mutual funds or whatever you're investing in in your traditional IRA. You can do that in the Roth. It's just a different umbrella that's being held over the um, investments themselves. But I would also reach out to a, um, a certified financial um, investor or advisor, the people who actually sell those investments. I don't sell anything. So this this information, is, I don't benefit from it at all. Um, and I would just reach out to them and ask what their take would be um, on transferring the, the money that's in the traditional IRA over to the Roth IRA. I think if if she were younger, then I would consider it more. But I think I think at her age, it it just is kind of a wash right now. Couldn't yeah, I agree. That's what I was gonna say because we don't know if she's fifty three. That's probably a pretty good chunk of cash if she's been saving, and so therefore mm -hmm. that that taxable event is going to hit her pretty hard. And so even so, she's got to yeah. figure out how, even though she's going to have the tax benefit of pulling it out in say, let's say she starts happening in 20 years at 73 um mm -hmm. you're still got to make up and, and is it that that big of a difference same thing you said i mean even if you get into the position of you're making too much money to contribute to a roth uh doing the back door pay the penalty on the 6500 which isn't that much money mm -hmm. but you get a roth started and, and fund it through you know 30 years of of, of um, earning years that that makes sense but yeah that's that's she's in kind of a tough spot but the good news is i mean if she's as long as she's got savings and um, she's 53 and just keeps trucking, I mean, yeah, yeah. open that Roth now. And, and and then maybe let's say that she's 53 and she's making what, like a hundred, let's say if she's married and she's making over 200, something like that, like maybe $200,000 a year. And so she's ineligible for a Roth. Well, then go ahead and open up a traditional, fund it for $6,500, then transfer that one to a yep. Roth and then start piling up. Because at 53, her earnings, especially if she's married, it may be over that threshold where she could just go in and open a new Roth. And if that's the case, do the back door, pay the penalty on the 6,500 and fund it for the rest of her, her, her life as opposed, and then keep funding the Roth. I mean, yeah, that's what I would do. I mean, but again, yep. we got, have to know a little more data about what kind of dollars we're dealing with. Okay, cool. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So here is the final question of the day. These are these have been good. This has been fun. Kind of They've got my been blood, great. I, it's the, fun. They, some of them got my blood pressure up a little bit, and I've learned about there's some just some scamps out there that I just I don't know I don't know about, but whatever. All yeah. right. 
seventh and final question. Loan from 401k to pay off student loans or pay the higher interest rate on the student loans? Ooh, good one. You Go. What are your thoughts? Okay. I never suggest taking a 401k loan out. The only time that I would suggest doing that is to avoid foreclosure or to avoid bankruptcy. Um, and here's the reason. When you take a loan out for your 401k, you have to pay it back before you leave that company. Um, and you may be like, well, I have no plans for leaving this company. It's a great company. But listen, you could get fired. They could have layoffs. You could have a change in um, leadership and your boss is now a jerk. You could become disabled. Or you could die. Okay. Yeah. All of those things create a situation where you no longer live there or live there. You no longer work there. And when you no longer work there, your loan has to be paid back in full by the time the next your uh that year's taxes are paid. And if they're not, then you have essentially they consider it an early withdrawal. So you are taxed at your tax rate plus a 10% penalty for an early withdrawal. Mm. Uh, so I would say absolutely not. Also, you end up being taxed on it twice. Okay. So you, you aren't paying any taxes when you, when you contribute, you pull it out. Okay. So, and then you're taxed. Then when you're putting it back in, you're putting after tax, sorry, you pull it out. The money that you're putting back in to pay it back has been taxed because it came from your paycheck. And then when you get to retirement, if you have been contributing to a pre-tax plan, then you're taxed when you with, withdraw it then too. So you're taxed twice on this money. No, absolutely not. Get aggressive. Get on a budget. Be aggressive on paying back your student loans. You can do this without... Um, without messing up your future with your 401k loan. Yeah. Could not agree more. And by the time you, the good news is, I mean, don't student loans, most of them, I, I, I don't know this. Um, I should. Most of them have a 25 year kind of like drop. I mean, you don't pay them past 25 years. Is that right? They, they, don't they aren't most of them, if it's like on an income driven plan or there's some of them. Mm -hmm. So that might have a deal too, where you look and you go, yeah, well, mine, whether, even if I have a balance, it gets forgiven after 25 years of on-time payment. Um, so therefore, it'd be nice to just go ahead and do the math and figure out how much I plan to have in my 401k in 25 at the end of this time versus the student loan that might be forgiven. Again, you need to talk to your servicer and figure out if there's a plan you can get on for that or whatever. Again, it's just it's definitely worth uh, looking into. But the bottom line is, I'm with you. And a lot of people forget about that. They see that they've got a pretty nice chunk of cash. It's their money. They've saved it. Yeah. And yeah, if you're about to have your house foreclosed on, you go through a COVID situation and you lose your business or whatever. But in unless that's the case, it's just, and you also lose all that earning power. I mean, that you yes. pull out that amount of money because if you're borrowing against it, it must be a pretty, you're not going to borrow five grand from a $150,000 balance of 401k. So if you're, say, taking 50K out of, a, of your biggest nest egg for retirement, then you lose that, the earning power of that higher number that's compounding that you worked so hard yeah. to build up to. So there's a lot of reasons why just that should be kind of untouchable monies. So Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, Katie. I think we crushed some pretty good uh, questions. I think this audience right now is just going, wow. Katie's freaking amazing. Jason wouldn't shut up because he got so fired up. And I don't care about him mowing his yard and stuff. Uh, you know, but um, yeah, I think this was this was fun. Well done. This was so fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Send in more questions. This would be this would just be so much fun to continue these conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Please do. I gotta I gotta ask again because here's the thing. Katie and I, we do our best to try to figure out, okay, what do most people what people should know? What would my what my pique their curiosity, but it really, let's hear from you because here's the deal. If you have the question, 
then that means there are millions of others that have that same question. Even though we are all individually and wonderful, uniquely designed, we all have that where where there's some commonalities. And so it's, you know, I guarantee you, your question is not going to be the one that the whole universe says, never heard that one before. So bring it. We want to answer. Yeah. So, all right, Katie, this was fun. As always, I appreciate you spending the time with the Jason Wright Show audience. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jason. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. The information provided on the Jason Wright Show podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as professional, financial, or investment advice. The content presented is based on the host's opinions and personal experiences, and it may not be suitable for all individuals. The hosts and guests of the Jason Wright Show are not licensed financial advisors, investment professionals, or registered representatives. Listeners are strongly advised to seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any investment decisions. The content provided in this podcast should not be considered a substitute for personalized financial advice. Investing involves risk and the value of the investments can go up or down. Listeners are encouraged to conduct thorough research and consider their own financial situation and risk tolerance before making any investment decisions. The past performance of investments discussed on the podcast is not indicative of future results. The Jason Wright Show podcast may include discussions of specific investment strategies, financial products, or market trends. Such discussions are for educational and informational purposes only and should not be interpreted as endorsements or recommendations. Listeners should be aware that financial regulations, laws, and tax rules can change and may vary based on jurisdiction. Any information provided in this podcast may become outdated or inaccurate over time. By accessing and listening to this Jason Bright Show podcast, you acknowledge and agree that the hosts, guests, and creators of the podcast shall not be held liable for any losses, damages, or expenses arising from your reliance on the information presented. You also acknowledge that any investment decisions you make are solely your responsibility. Remember to consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Always do your own research and due diligence to ensure that any financial or investment strategies are appropriate for your individual circumstances.